So when it comes to a job, on paper, I think I'm very, very weak. I'm extremely weak. I'm like the weakest person in the whole world. No one would hire me. No one probably should hire me. I'm the guy who, if I got hired, I would, when everyone leaves at, leaves at five or something, I would just rearrange all the tables in the office and chairs to make it the most efficient for like people to get around and faster work, and then I'd get fired the next day. Ever imagine you could be mentored and guided by some of the most influential leaders in business? That's where 40 Minute Mentor comes in. I'm passionate about making business mentorship accessible to everyone. So whether you're just beginning your career or you're looking for advice in taking the leap and starting a new venture, or perhaps you're scaling a rocket ship, this show is designed to cover everything from the ground up in the next 40 minutes. In today's 40 Minute Mentor episode, I speak to Andy Davis, serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and co-founder of 10x10, an organization investing solely in black founders. Andy's journey to becoming one of Business Insider's 100 people transforming business is a truly fascinating one. He went from a humble upbringing to a world-class founder and investor, and he also did a stint as a kids' TV presenter on Nickelodeon. He has also done amazing work to push forward the DE&I agenda in the UK tech scene, which included writing the Black Report in 2020 to examine the landscape facing black startup founders in the UK. Much of it makes for shocking, but sadly unsurprising reading. But there are some positives to take from it as well, as the report showcases the truly diverse teams being built by black founders. It was fascinating talking to Andy. He discusses his own personal and entrepreneurial experiences, both good and bad, with a refreshing openness and honesty, and also shares some brilliant advice for those looking for investment. So, if you're a startup or scale-up leader looking for your next round of funding, make sure you keep your notepad at hand, because you won't want to miss out on the great advice Andy shares in this episode. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 40 minutes with a very inspiring Andy Davis. Andy, welcome to the 40 Minute Mentor. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. Well, we always like to kick this off with some quick fire questions to get a snapshot of your CV. So if you don't mind, please, can you finish these sentences? Are you ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. When I was little, I always wanted to be... Goku from Dragon Ball Z. Humble super strong, cares a lot about people, always gets better to save the earth. Not bad characteristics or attributes of a, of a, um, of a mentor, <laughs> an, an anime mentor nonetheless, but a, ment- a mentor still. Love it. Brilliant answer. Okay. When starting my career, I wish I'd have known. That integrity is the most important thing and that vanity doesn't matter. Couldn't agree more. I became an entrepreneur because? I'm not particularly good at anything. The one thing I'm okay at is problem solving. That happens to be enough. You're very humble, but we'll come, we'll come on to this in a bit more detail. I'm most energised at work when I'm... Spending time with incredible people, people at everything, and um, I get the luxury of spending time with people 24-7 and learning about their stories and their backgrounds and their futures. So that's what, that's what energises me every day. Yeah, I, and I feel very, very similar. And finally, Andy, can you share something we wouldn't learn from your CV, whether that's a perceived failure or setback in your career that you've learned from? I'm going to give you a side thing, actually. So when I was younger, I did some TV presenting for Nickelodeon for a few years and um, every Sunday. And I got to spend 
a lot of time with the likes of the Tears and Tameras, the Keenan and Curls, the Tyler's, etc., Sabuna, Teenage Witch and stuff. And what I learned from that is that, I, and it was good because I grew up not then idolizing celebrity because I was I was quite used to them being around. And the, all that meant is that, and I am so far from anybody in the world, but um, it just taught me to always just be humble and accessible and um, that no one is too above anybody for better or worse. That is brilliant. And as a kid that always wanted to be a TV presenter or like Sky Sports News presenter, that was my aspiration. I'm very jealous of that one. Uh, amazing. I, I love these. Th- this question, honestly, gives some incredible answers. I, I would have never known that. Uh, amazing. Well, thank you, Andy. Lovely to get a snapshot of your CV, but I really want to dive into your career because it's been an absolutely fascinating one. For anyone who isn't familiar with with your career story, um, I'd like to start off with your early days as a founder and your journey to becoming an investor and how you became named as the Business Insiders, one of the hundred people transforming business, which is is some sort of uh, a huge accolade. So uh, kudos to you. You've mentioned in previous interviews that you've you've never had a traditional or what's been traditionally seen as a proper job. Can you tell us a bit about that? And did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? So I think it will always, always go back to just things you do, right? So I've never gone and pursued an entrepreneurial venture because I've wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always had a problem in front of me and gone to solve it. And um, when I thought it was big enough, or, or I thought it was a big enough problem for a lot of people, I've then gone to solve it for more people and thus, it, it, those things became startups or businesses. I think that can start from little things like one day you buy a lot of, as, as there's, always this, there's always this kid in every school, you buy a lot of sweets and you start sending it to kids and then one day you outsell the vending machine and you do it for like a few months until you get told to, to not sell next to the vending machine anymore and stop sending sweets. Two, then you grow up to, I'm, I'm, I was the weird, the weird guy first year of uni who, Every time the lift pinged in our accommodation building, I'd pull people out the lift and have them come and answer a quick quiz in my room on whether or not they do something like answer, do something on the internet for this amount of money or whatever it is. And they just thought this guy's weird. And, um, and this would be absolutely anybody. And then I think, again, it just comes down to solving, solving problems. So when I first got going with some stuff, I remember we started a football-based business in 2009, 2010. And it was something called Prempica where one would predict the Premier League table in advance, in advance, and if you got it right then the season, you win 100k. We didn't have 100k to give anybody, but and it, but it was so early on the internet that the only things people were really doing were on there were people on YouTube, they were on like SkySports.com, and then some people like were on Facebook, and you were on these like major sites. There was less, there's a lot of micro sites, but people spend less time on them than they, than they do today, of course. So we just put this thing online, and within the week, we had like 2,000 people engage with it and create a Premier League table, and I think. Um, and we didn't know where they were from. We didn't really track anything. So to have people from all these different countries speaking different languages, doing it was interesting. I think, and then, but when it comes to problem solving, it's so interesting because we did that. We started getting partnerships with the likes of the Guardian and um, now FootyTube.com, which I think is the number one football highlight site. But when they first got going, and a few others, and and then we had to build a team around us. The UCL gave us a resource in the form of engineers and designers. But then one day I just woke up and said, I was the biggest football fan in the world. But I said, actually, we're not solving a problem. This, this already exists. And it's so interesting, right? And it was like, actually, when I put this thing on the internet, yes, it's fun. We I didn't feel like we were solving a problem. And again, I, I stem from problem solving. And I was like, we're not solving a problem. So I think anyone could do this. They should just go to Sky Sports. They should go here. Yeah, I've got this Premier League table thing. I always cared about solving problems for people. 
that was always like, the most important thing for me to do. And thus went on to do some things in education and healthcare where the problems were, there were, there were larger pain points and obvious pain points with um, institutions involved. And I, I don't think I realized until a few years ago, two years ago, someone said to me, oh, you haven't really done anything in the consumer space. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting, actually. Besides the football thing, like, in 2009. And I was like, that's really interesting, actually. I didn't think about it that way. And that's probably where, again, my lack of fear comes around sales and doing big things because I've always had to go sell to institutions who I may have had no business being involved in. So when it comes to a job, on paper, I think I'm very, very weak. I'm extremely weak. I'm, like, the weakest person in the whole world. No one would hire me. No one probably should hire me. I'm the guy who, if I got hired... I would, when everyone leaves at, leaves at five or something, I would just rearrange all the tables in the office and chairs to make it the most efficient for like people to get around and for us to work. And then I'd get fired the next day. They'd be like, why did you spend your time doing that? <laughs> 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 I'd, probably move, I'd probably move chairs and tables outside and be like, actually, I don't think we need, I don't think we need all these people. So um, yeah, and jump forward a bit, we can go back. I remember even um, at one point, one point in my life, I remember applying for about two or 300 jobs. And I think I got six interviews I had six interviews, two second interviews, and didn't get one offer, right? And um, I was told at the time, just use your network, whatever. And I was like refusing. I was like, actually, why can't I just apply for jobs? I'm going to look for jobs online and apply. And that just tells you on paper, I'm very, very weak. In person, I, I think I'm a little bit better. But, um, That's right, definitely. Yeah. You're, you're very humble. I mean, but you, you clearly like, you've, you've tried so many different things and you've had so much success. I, f- I find it fascinating that you were doing something that you really, like you had a passion for but you stepped away from it when it was clearly going really well. And, and that clearly speaks to this, this desire that you have to solve bigger problems. Where do you think that comes from? Is this stemming from like something in your childhood? Is that just always the way you've been? I'd love to learn a bit more about that. So as quite a lot of people know, I grew up poor and um, I think um, didn't really grow up much. So I'm not someone who needs a lot, but I think um, I've always been around Problems. I think growing up poor, you realize the problem is poverty, right? And then there's a few other problems in around it. It's access to jobs, it's education, it's not not having things in the house, like if it's food at times or whatever it is, um, electricity running out. You realize actually to to get to the point where these these things that happen, these problems that occur, and these, this pain doesn't exist. You have to maybe maybe generate wealth or enough resource to stop that happening, right? For a better future, for, per se, especially in this this side of the world where money is oxygen out in this, in this side of the world, to be honest. Without money, a lot of things just fall apart. So um, this isn't like um, in several places, right? Several places in the world, such as where I'm from in Sierra Leone, where my family's still extremely poor. My, I've got friends here who are poor still. And then on top of that, we've got all these um, healthcare issues. And so I grew up a twin, and my twin brother passed away when I was 17. And I remember him passing away. I don't think it was the first, uh, absolutely fine, right? And I think it was the first time I had experienced like that. And that was the first funeral I'd ever, I ever went to. I remember thinking the whole time, and this came from nowhere, of course, but it was like, hey, if we had private healthcare, we had, we could afford better healthcare, maybe this wouldn't have happened. Which actually doesn't, which isn't necessarily true. Now I know things in the world, because people, people unfortunately pass away every day, regardless of their financial position or the resources that they have access to. But we do know that better resources can, um, can help. So... I think that partly fueled the fire. It was like, actually, needs to be working on things which can move the needle and really change the world. Wow. It's, it's amazing how many people I've spoken to, how many amazing entrepreneurs, actually some of that inspiration for, for the way they are comes from 
moments of trauma or tragedy. I obviously didn't know that. Um, that that's really, really sad, but, but clearly has given you fire in the belly to do a lot of the things that you've done. When you look back at, at those early ventures that you, you talked about just a minute ago, what are some of the, the lessons you learned from them that you, you now use today? Now that you're a very successful investor, entrepreneur, but are there still things from, from those early days that you take into your role now? Sure. So um, I don't think I'm very successful yet. To me, it's still day one. And I, I still wake up every day and bust my ass and work 24-7. Um, and like I fear the younger, I fear the 19-year-old Andy Davis, like running and catching up with me and beating me at anything. And, <laughs> that keeps um, you on your toes, right? It keeps, keeps yeah, it keeps you honest. Yeah, it, it keeps me on my toes. And I just stay hungry every single day, 24-7. And I know that until me, myself, my family escape, like poverty and, and we have all these healthcare issues in the world solved as well i'm not done i'm very far from done so um i think lessons always work on big problems that was what i learned say with the football thing at prem picker um going on to do a school application system applied i remember i got some investment from telefonica and how old is that? i think i was 22 or 23 and there was a lot of startups around um in our building that they had funded and stuff and they will bring us, they'll connect us with different people to talk to. And I think everyone wanted to to present with their best foot forward. But sometimes what that meant was presenting with vanity as opposed to the, the actual reality of where you, where you are. And I just learned that vanity doesn't pay. And I learned that really early. But like it was almost late because it, it probably cost us in the venture of our progress. It was like, oh, we're, we're, doing, we're doing well, we're we have all this interest where, where we've got all these institutions we're talking to. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is the only thing that matters. And um, that's why I learned really early that vanity just doesn't pay. You have to focus on the actual reality of the actual business. And um, it's like the whole vanity and profit thing, right? Like you just have to, um, you have to really just focus on the business itself. I think, and then going forward, I learned that integrity is really important. I think even partly after that, like a year or so after, uh, going on to another venture, I think, I then messed up with Wooden so well <laughs> and couldn't be well and they were going really fast and these things. What and, was um, the venture? What was it? Notified it was a um, education messaging product. And I think in a few months we had gotten to like, 56 institutions. And I, t- I took a lot of lessons from the previous start where we had those conversations, but we didn't have anything signed and it was a B2B product and there was a long sales cycle with a large price for the product and all these things. So that's something lighter, but I took all the right lessons of how to get adoption with these customers. And then... Ended up in a bunch of institutions. We, were very, we worked our ass off, but we were very grateful that they um, they loved the product. And we did a lot of listening. But then I think where we messed up, where I messed up, it wasn't a we, it was where I messed up, was with my co-founders around, I think, two things. One was, again, even equity. All these conversations around equity and not just splitting things equally. And I thought, oh, because I put money into the business, I had been full-time for a few months before them. They came full-time after we got an investment. And so maybe rightfully, but I think in, in the grand scheme of things, none of these things matter. You just have to, like, do you want to go on a ride for the next 10 years with these people? And if so, does a few percentage points make a difference? That was one thing. And then two is just integrity. I think I learned a big lesson in integrity when it's like, hey, actually, when you're talking about your previous experience and work and successes or failures, just to always be honest and not to keep anything hidden because things always come up and everyone was doing it. But... um. It was because you, you don't want to ever look bad to anyone. But actually, sometimes honesty is just best. 
And people just appreciate really honest people. And I was really young and I'm so glad I learned those lessons then. And it just taught me to be like a better human, a better person to everybody. Yeah, such important lesson to learn. And you, it sounds like because you've been so entrepreneurial and you've, you've had so many like businesses from a relatively early age, you've had to grow up really fast. And, and also like the things you said about honesty and integrity, these are they're so important like I, I and it's one of those things that can easily be overlooked you know when we're looking at scaling a unicorn and all the things that people want to do there but actually at the heart of it is if you have those things you know I, I think you you can always do well you've just gotta if you've got the, the problem solving mindset which you do but then you do business in the right way then people will want to work with you and for you and invest in you in my opinion and you have to choose what you want in life but I think what I was doing then was wanting to be great but but for a second, not looking at the greats. I know, like, there are so many greats. Like, I grew up with the Michael Jordans and the Serena Williams and the Lionel Messi's being my inspiration and the, and the, and the Son Goku's. And um, I just know that even look at someone like Goku and Lionel Messi, I know that, like, and even Serena, humility is so important. It's just so important. And all that means is also embracing where you've gone wrong, embracing where you've gone wrong, embracing your failures and growing from that and taking all the, and taking all the lessons and being patient as well. It's okay. Like another opportunity is coming, you just have to be ready for it. So get ready. And I, one of the lessons I did take, actually, I remember when I messed up with Notified with my team and then we decided to shut it down and we're doing well and we had to return, so I had to return. Or I returned investor capital and I had not, then I had another term sheet for some investors and I was like, actually, time to take a break here a bit, right? And I was, not, I was the guy running like 100 miles an hour, 24-7. But um, time to take a break. And I remember like, you obviously feel a bit down and a bit sad that these things are come to an end. But I remember I was watching the um, NBA Finals and I remember Cleveland were playing Golden State and LeBron was with Steph, Steph Curry, um, Clay Thompson and others. And LeBron had lost right, in, that, in that final. And it's LeBron James, the best player in the world today, right? the best basketball player in the world today. And I remember thinking, oh, he had lost. And then a few weeks later, they start training again. And then the season started. And I was like, he had lost and it was like the world is on him. Oh, all the cameras on in the media. And he looked like he was a loser in the world's eyes. But all of a sudden it was like some pe- a period passed and he was training, getting ready for next season to go win again. And I was like, get up and get ready for next season, go win again. And it was literally that. And I was like, get up and go win again. And that just sparked that actually the day's never, it's never, the day's never, the, the day's done or the week's never over, right? Like you have to like, keep going, get up and go again. And I think that's one of the most important things as an entrepreneur and a leader. It's something I've learned. I, I took the losses in the early days of JBM very hard. It took me days to get over the candidates that turned down offers or, or things that went wrong. Whereas now, you just when you've been through that cycle enough time, you realise the importance of bouncing back and just getting back on the horse and doing it. So that really resonates with me. I wanted to talk about investing because you, you moved in 2018. You went to work for Backstage Capital as a VC. What inspired you to make that move from kind of founder to investor? And what are some of the the skills you learned from that? Because it's a move a lot of people call us about wanting to make. Yep, <laughs> they do. I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's interesting, a lot of entrepreneurs want to be investors, but but I think, and I know a lot of investors want to be um, entrepreneurs, but um, my, my preference is always on the entrepreneurial side. <laughs> but the move happened. So, so, but actually behind, so before we get back to the actual move itself, I'm going to jump a little bit. So when the move happened, it was three of us who set up Backstage Capital in the UK. Um, myself and Andy, Andy Iam and Anissa, Anissa um, Osman Britton. And we, I remember we had a conversation and it was like, hey, like how much their lives have changed. Andy went from being a product manager, a very large startup, to being a VC, an investor. Anissa was running a um, coding school and she's that investing. But I didn't feel my life changed at all because 
Yes, I'd been a founder my whole life, but I remember every, it was almost like every week, every Friday and Saturday in the weekends, I'd spend time with other founders, helping them with their pitch decks to talk to investors, connecting them with investors. I'd spend time to help them hiring. I'd spend, I'd spend time with their product team to help with products, with sales, helping with sales materials and stuff. So I was always doing that work, like that value-add investor work anyway. And about six months before the backstage opportunity arose, I was sending out deals to my investors for other startups I knew, and they were investing in them. So I spent time seeing a lot of founders, mostly because I run a network, a group called 10x10, which we'll get to, I guess. So I was sending out a lot of, a lot of deals to them, and they were investing. And I was doing it anyway. Now I was on the phone to them, telling them why it's a good investment, why this founder, I spent time with the founder, helping pay for the meetings. So the only difference was now that I was the one sending the capital to whatever. That was it. And yes, that's a big deal, but you have to be conviction-driven. And my conviction was so strong that it didn't matter that if I was sending the capital over or not. So when I had the opportunity to do so, it was, these companies I told you about, we're going to back them. Like, like any company, I'm, I've got high conviction with them. And if I say to you, you should put money in, or I suggest you do so, then I will do so as well. Yeah, so that's why nothing really changed. But the opportunity came about because, maybe because of that, I think when Arlen Hamilton, the founder of Backstage Capital, she came to London a few times, and she wanted to open up here she wanted to meet some investors here and some entrepreneurs and I played a part in connecting with some investors and went to one or two meetings where we were in small rooms and she we had conversations regarding um, the UK ecosystem and she got the investor perspective and founder perspective and a, a friend of mine Andy Ayam he was the first hire so um he, he was he was the first hire because he had been like, following her for some time supporting her team all these things to be doing like somewhat distant but connected work with them then when they came to UK, it was she announced at the meeting the prime meeting had investors and he's gonna be in the UK team and the AM. And then when the meeting was done, she's like, Hey, like I want like why are we not working together? I want you to join us. And I was like, Well, it's on you, then it's on me. Get something to me, then I'll look at it and make a decision. Being a entrepreneur is never easy. Even leaving a startup is never easy to go and do it. I think you have to um Andy and Lisa got announced. There was a thing where I just couldn't be announced yet because I hadn't told my team yet, my investors, or anything and I needed more time. I wanted to do it in a respectful way. And I said, let me create the, let create the infrastructure here. And like, it won't matter when I'm gone or I'll transition out in some way. And, that, and that's what ended up happening. So I got announced a bit later and it completed the team. Ah, exciting. So when you, you know, as an early stage investor, what do you look for in businesses and founders? Sure. So firstly, obsession. And that is because I think if you're obsessed with a problem, obsessed with whatever it is, right, even a sector, you should land on a unique insight which makes you different to everybody else, right? And that unique insight should, should be the catalyst for change and the enabler to help you win. So obsessions one, the ability to run through walls is important. I don't want any wall in front of any founder, especially diverse founders or black founders, because there's already enough obstacles in their way anyway. But when you know this, when we go to these businesses, walls just land in front of us for no reason. Oh, look, here's a wall. You're like, oh, I just woke up this morning. <laughs> like, and, um, <laughs> like, even before this call, I had this thing just landed on me. I was like, oh, like, okay, cool. And I feel someone solve it. So ability to run through walls is important and get through challenges. And so obsession, ability to run through walls. And I think the last thing is validation. That's really important. And I, I, my friends joke that, hey, Andy would invest in a spreadsheet. Because I would. I would invest in a spreadsheet. I'd invest in a text message, a Twitter page, an Instagram page. I'd invest in email, just emails. Because... I just want validation. Just I don't care what the product necessarily looks like or feels like today. I just want to know that you're solving the problem for those people. And if people are going through some sort of crappy alternative way to have it solved for them, if we back you and you, you actually build something that's 
feels seamless, a seamless experience for this solution, then um, that would have a great impact. So I want to see validation. Just show me that people actually need this thing and that they, they're using it. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, really interesting uh, perspectives there and, and great advice for anyone listening. I think there'll probably be lots of entrepreneurs pitching right now to VCs that might be listening to this podcast. So what are your tips for them? If they land in front of you, what should they do? Are there any red flags that they should avoid? Would love to hear your thoughts. So I'll, I'll do what you should do first and red flags. So always sell on vision. Go, like, go big. Go, like you literally, people literally don't know who they're competing with, right? Especially if you're in the UK. I get so many pictures in the UK and I spend a lot of time on US calls, East Coast and West Coast at night. And um, it literally goes from UK startups sometimes pitching and um, it's not their fault, right? It's just exposure. It's, they, they pitch and they'll be very conservative as our culture is here and they'll say, hey, in five years' time, I'm going to get to 10 million in revenue. I've talked to a US founder. It's like, oh, and this product's going to be for... And then he or she was just, he or she was like, this product is going to, this product is for like 7 billion people. I was like, everyone's <laughs> planet. And they're like, they're like, oh, okay, well, it's for like 3 billion people. I'm like, what, well, women on the planet? And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm like, including babies. Okay, well, 1 billion people. I'm like, but it, 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 they dream so big, <laughs> right? That, um, it's so audacious. But that, and that's the, that's the risk we're taking. That's the bet we're, make, we're making, right? That we're betting that this is going to be so gigantic that it's going to win. And I think, just so sell on vision and be really ambitious and do not fear ambition. And that's one thing I think to dive deep on any sort of engagement you have. There's, there's too many pictures where everything's so high level, oh, what number, X number of users, whatever it is. And we're also used to hearing it. So like everyone has users now, everyone has customers, everyone's realized that you can give Facebook money and get some customers or whatever it is. But dive deep on engagement and, and how it actually solves the problem for them. Like tell that story. And I think the third thing is, 90% of early stage fundraising is just about narrative. So get the narrative right. Take a step back and it should feel like a story and tell the story to people and see if they're convinced. And go run it by a bunch of people as well. I think um, that's really important. And sometimes even run it by people who maybe aren't investors just to get what their perspective is and see if it makes them sit up a bit. But okay, then I would privatize your investor meetings in order of not who, who you don't want first, but the the investor you definitely want last, you want to practice pitching. But you never know. You can meet some great people. So some people say they like me to be involved, whatever it is, for whatever reason. And I think um, they can talk to me first because I've been a founder. Sometimes the investors who are founders, we just happen to be a bit more friendly and understanding for obvious reasons. And the storytelling piece is something that's really underrated, isn't it? It's so important to be able to, to craft a story and take people on that journey because we all get bought in by that way, right? It, don't get me wrong, like the numbers and the product market fit and all that sort of stuff is important. But actually, if you can engage someone, then it makes a world of difference. It makes a difference. Oh, red, so red flags, very quickly. So red flags, vanity, red flag, of course. Do not present any vanity metrics. Just, again, just present. I don't care if you... Don't tell me you've had 5,000 or 50,000 people download your app. And if you've only got 500 users from that, I'd much rather hear that you've got 500 users. I don't care about the number of downloads. No vanity metrics to focus is really important. So the, all that means is, especially with an early-stage startup, just focus on doing one thing and serving that. Too many startups, they pitch and they overcompensate for a lack of traction sometimes. What they feel is a lack of traction. And they'll say, oh, we do this. And we also have this other feature. And we also do this other thing. And it's kind of like every time I say all the time, the word and is the killer. It just kills your, it just kills your, your pitch. It's like, we do this and this and this and this. And it's like, just focus. Tell me how you solve this problem and you do one thing really, really well. And potentially you can tell me later about how there's one or two other elements to it. But I think um, no vanity metrics and just focus. And so no vanity metrics are a red flag and the lack of focus is a red flag as well. 
Great advice, Andy. I'm conscious of time and I really want to get into talking about 10x10 and diversity and inclusion. It's, I think, advancing social mobility and DNI in the startup world. These are topics that I know we're both passionate about. Given everything that's going on in the world, particularly the Black Lives Matter movement, I, I know you created this, the, the Black Report to examine the, the landscape for Black founders in the 2020s. And it does paint a shocking but unfortunately a not that surprising picture. So anyone that hasn't heard of it, do you mind telling us a bit about the Black Report and some of the issues at hand and, and some of your findings from it? Sure. So the Black Report is a report that I created last year. So we launched the first Black Report last year and it's a um, report on early stage Black founders in the UK, the first. And it doesn't necessarily matter that, it's the, that it was the first, but because um, I want to say that we didn't do it because there was no data on black founders. That's not why it started. Because right? yes, there's no data. Yes, there was no data on black people generally in the UK. I literally did it. Again, I've been a founder my whole life. And I talked to founders 24-7 and I realized that every founder feels alone in their journey. You don't understand this, right? Every founder feels alone in their journey. Founders, listen, everyone feels alone. But there's so many other people going through the same experiences as us. So I just said, I want to create a report that told us as to who black founders are, what their businesses are, how they were raised, who their teams are, investors are, and their why behind it. And I think, um, so the, the purpose was just insights, realistic insights as to who black founders are and perspectives for current and future black founders. And that was why. And yes, on top of that, there was always the added value of the wider ecosystem, it's serving them and a few people external to it, a few like large institutions got involved and they asked me to speak at their, um, at their all hands meetings for their staff and their exec team meetings and stuff. And so they were super interested in black entrepreneurship especially given the race crisis that happened last year. But I think we did it for founders, and I think that's why you should always stay true. That's the thing, right? Just always stay mission-driven and true, and if you do that, the best work will get produced. And I'm very grateful for all the nice things that have been said about the Black Report. And when I look at it, I think, oh, this can be so much better, <laughs> and it will be this year. But I appreciate that. It's a great piece of work, and I'm so proud of the team behind it as well. Yeah, amazing. Well, huge hats off to you. I mean, it's, it's, it's such an important document and um, were there any particular things that you would highlight from it that you think our listeners should hear about and be aware of firstly i think i think the few uh, a few highlights for me personally i think one is that black founders build diverse teams this is something i've always known but when we got to put the data together we got to, we got to see it so um 40 of all founders are female when it comes to black, black startups which is incredible when it comes to all male versus all female teams 42 percent of all of all teams are of all teams are female versus 40% forty percent are male and the rest being a mixed gender. And it's even the same thing with staff, right? We've got 46% of staff are female. I think those numbers are just unheard of in the, in the industry. And it shows that black founders build diverse teams and that just happens to be, the, and that's something that I assumed, but um, the data now tells us that that's the truth. Something else, I think black founders have diverse investors. And I think this, is, this more speaks to the diverse investors piece, actually. Like the more diverse the investor base is and the world investors is, the more opportunity diverse entrepreneurs get. Because um, if I look at the data, people of colour, the investors were 36%, black investors 32%, and female investors 25%. Again, these numbers are unheard of, and I imagine it will increase year on year as um, more diverse people get access to capital and exposure to this world and access to deals as well. And black founders and diverse founders find these investors as well. And that whole world opens up as it's doing every single month. We're doing the work to make sure of that those are some highlights yeah that's that's amazing um and you've alluded to it and i think th things are changing thankfully and you're playing a 
you know, right at the forefront of, of shifting the dial when it comes to this, but there are still many obstacles, particularly for black and ethnic minority founders. What one piece of advice would you give them? They're listening to this now. They're inspired by some of the things you're saying. What, what advice do you have for them? You So you aren't alone, right? And um, what that means is, is that there are so many diverse founders now who have, who have built teams, solved massive problems and, and raised money and, and who are succeeding. You aren't alone. Go and find those. And everyone's open. Everyone's open to helping everyone, all of us. So go and get connected to them. And whatever you need, just ask. You'd be very surprised, right? I think, like, with diverse individuals, we, we're also open to supporting each other because we know how hard it is for us. And we know that we, like, for someone like myself, I didn't have any help like, coming up, right? Because these communities didn't exist. It was when it was 2009, 2010. The startup ecosystem in London didn't really exist. So, um, but now that all these things do, communities exist. Just go out there, find people. And so I'd say, I'd say, two, I'd say two things. Find people and ask, and ask for help because you'll get it. And then I think the second piece is just do the work. You'd be so surprised. So many people get caught up in all these things, right? Like, I really, really appreciate if it's business inside of it, it's Forbes, if it's whoever. But it's just about doing the work. I, I don't look for any of these things. I don't look for anything. Um, again, maybe I'm just a basic boy from Barking who um, doesn't need too much. But um, I think I just focus on doing the work every second of every single day. And for years, I always tell people, like, we just focus on value. We just focus on the work. We focus on value. That's all that matters. Everything else will build around us. And forever, people around 10 x 10 and other places are always, always like, what are you talking about? You have to go and do these other things, you have to seek it out. And then I think we've all seen now that <laughs> things just come to be. If you just focus on doing the work and, the, and you focus on value, everything else will build around you. So that's what I would say. No, thanks, Andy. It's great advice. And just on the other side of the equation, what can companies do to improve DNI and include, particularly the inclusivity piece with their teams? So <laughs> here's one thing I think everyone should do. Find a diverse individual. So, so find a diverse colleague, person in your life, or founder, and make the goal of that relationship their progress. Just one person. Just one person. And commit to it for a year. And give yourself quarterly goals for that, with that person. And the only goal of that relationship, this new format of the relationship, is their progress. And trust me, if everyone does that, or if enough people do it, the needle will move significantly. 100%. If we would just take one person and make sure that we just support them and the goal of that relationship is progress, things will move significantly. Love that. And it plays so much into what this podcast is all about, mentorship. Like we can all do it and I think we should all do it. But for those that need it particularly, like go beyond your world and make sure you're helping others that, that and one you know, person might is need simple and it's accessible. One person, and that's what you're all about, mentorship. One, it's one person and it isn't too much commitment. You can literally meet for an hour a month or an hour every qu- or an hour every quarter just support them but make sure your the goal of that relationship is their progress that's your goal personally and you will fail if they haven't progressed so make sure that's your goal and it's a ripple effect they can then mentor someone else and then it just 100%. keeps going yeah 100 totally. love that andy um so i mean i could talk to you for hours we're, we're sadly getting towards the end i just wanted to quickly talk about 10x10 do you mind letting our listeners know a bit about what 10x10 is all about and the awesome work you're doing so 10x10 is the UK's group of early stage black founders and investors. So that comprises of black founders, mostly pre-seed, seed, where they're um, getting their companies off the ground and growing. And um, we've got a group of all the black VCs in the UK, some black angel investors. And now I'm setting up a fund called a 10x10 fund to invest in early stage black founders as well. 
Awesome. Right, we will watch this space. We might have to do a second round next year to hear about the progress there. But definitely, we wish you all the very best with, with that. Thank um, you so much. We're at the, the wrap-up questions now, Andy. And it would be, I mean, we've talked already about mentorship. Do you have a specific mentor? And if there was one person in the world that you could get to mentor you, who would that be? Oh, that's super interesting. So I don't have a mentor. However, I grew up... So, so the other day, um, I was with my cousin and um, I think someone said, why are you sitting in the back of the car or something? And um, I was like, oh, because he's older than me. And I think they were like, I think, I think people were like, but people looked at me like, but you're... You're a grown man. You do important work. But I was just like, that's how, I was like, well, that's how I was raised. I was like, <laughs> I, was like I, don't, I don't understand. And I think um, like a lot of my discipline and the values I was raised on and principles just come from my older brothers and my cousins um, who played, definitely played a part in raising me. And my mum, I was raised by my mum and um, I think they have been my mentors my whole life in some way. And I just know that like, even my older cousin, we can talk and we can go back and forth, but I'll never speak back to him. <laughs> right, ever. I'll just keep it respectful. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. no, matter what I, no matter what I think in my head, I'll be like, oh, what's he? <laughs> but I'll never say it. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just keep it quiet. Um, and I, I bet there are a lot was... of people nodding along uh, in, in agreement to that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah like coaches, a lot of people are like, yeah, <laughs> you just can't say anything. I think like, they've been my mentors and if there was one person I'd have mentored me in the world, I think she's done it really. That's my mom. I think she's just like, why do I bust my ass every, every single day, 24-7? I grew up even, I remember going to school and my, and one of my teachers was like, primary school, year six, one of my teachers was like, oh, your mom's here. And I was like, where? And she was like, there. I was like, that's my nan. And she was like, that's your nan. And she whispered that, oh my God, I'm so sorry, is your mom dead? And I was, and I was like, mom dead? And I was like, no, she's at work. She's like, she, she's like, I've never seen her before. And I was like, oh, bye. And I was left, I ran off. Um, but it was because like, my mom was working like three jobs, like doing cleaning like five to five to nine, and then doing like a receptionist job, 10 to six, and then doing some care home job from like seven to 10. And the same thing every single day. So I was going to my nan's, my brother and I were going to our nan's every day in the week and then going home in the weekends. But where my work ethic comes from, even unconsciously, maybe comes from that. Like I grew up with like someone busting their ass and working extremely hard to have their own business and stuff. So how dare I not work hard? So when it comes to mentorship, I think that mentorship happened indirectly and happened in life. And um, that's probably where I could probably get a lot from. And given all the success you have had, and I know you'll play this down, but I think you're, you've done some amazing things already. And I'm sure there's lots more to come. How, when you look back on your career, like what do you want to be remembered for? So I didn't reach court. People always ask, oh, how can I help you? Because they, sometimes they find me helpful, hope, thankfully. And I always say, I always say um, you can help me by helping you, right? You can help me by winning. If you win, then we all win. So um, it's never going to be about me. I, like, there's nothing I should be remembered for. I think what I want is just, um, is progress. And I, I just exist to push our culture forward. And um, if the culture wins, and then hopefully I would have played a small part and done a decent job. Yeah, so hopefully they'll see the culture and they haven't got to remember me, but they'll, They'll remember the they'll remember the um the entrepreneurs and and the differences made in their lives and the problems solved. Fantastic, thank you, Andy. What a good answer, and I think um I think that's it, isn't it? You, you the role you can play is kind of helping others, you know, make a massive impact in the world and actually change some of the things that have been wrong about the world for a long time. And I think I think progress is being made on that front, thankfully. Uh, but there's lots more to be done. And before we finish up, um, for any listeners thinking about building a business or making a maybe a you know, massive career move, like what final piece of advice would you leave them with? I think have no fear. Just have no fear, right? Doing is free, right? Working hard, I think working hard is free. So when people don't work hard, it makes me question things a bit. My advice is just have no fear. 
there's a um, quote, I'm not even a quote guy, but there's one quote I've got on my phone saved. I think it was a little girl talking to her mum and she said, mother, what if I fall? And her mother said, oh, but, oh darling, what if you fly? And I think nice. that's it. Nice. Right? And um, so I always think that, what if you fly? That is the perfect place to end this. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Love talking to you. And yeah, wish you all the very best for the year ahead. Uh, thank you so Same much you. for giving thanks, us your time. Thanks so much for having me. This has been super fun. Cheers, Andy. I really hope that you enjoyed that episode of the 40 Minute Mentor. And if you did, please leave us a review and tell your friends so we can continue to bring you awesome interviews from inspiring entrepreneurs and business leaders. Please also feel free to reach out at info at jbmc.co.uk. Thanks again for all your support.